worked on Moses, but God has a plan. He develops that plan and He has an action that He wants you to take. Last week we were looking at how to grow in that calling. We saw that Jethro came along with Moses and taught him some things to, to help him in that area of growth. And he was able to receive it. He was able to receive it. He didn't just say, well, you're not called into the same thing I'm called into. He received from him the things that he had to say. Well, I think we don't even have to lead the life of Moses. We can take a look at him. What an example of someone who can walk in the love of God. Because I think if we faced the people in Israel that Moses faced, we'd be pulled out of the love of God. We'd get angry. We'd get bitter. We'd get hurt. We'd be walking in unforgiveness. All those bad things that were listed in the book of Galatians, they'd come and be a part of our life if we had to face people like that on a day-in and day-out basis. And yet he'd be on his face, talking with God, pleading for them. Oh God, don't wipe them out. Go ahead and kill me. Don't wipe them out. And uh, he interceded for them on a, on a regular basis. And every day he just worked to help the children of Israel grow. We're going to be starting off here in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. He says this way, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into His grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now He list, makes this list here. Then when we go through tribulations, how many can say, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many can say you've been going through some tribulations? Some stuff has been going on in your life. We go through tribulations. But we glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Now just going through the tribulation doesn't produce perseverance. We've talked about that in times past. And perseverance here is endurance. Your ability to endure under that thing and still maintain the godly character that you're supposed to, you're supposed to have. So tribulation comes. Rejoice about it because when this stuff comes, you're gonna, you're gonna shine through this and perseverance is gonna come. When perseverance comes, that produces character. That's the person that you are. You're going to become a better person of character as you go through tribulation and have endurance. And endurance is, make sure you remember this, endurance is not just getting through the tribulation. Endurance is maintaining what God says to do through the tribulation. That's endurance. That's where we have to be. So tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. It's your character that produces hope. Sometimes we don't always walk in the awareness of that. It's your character that produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Now, look at this. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. A lot of the reasons that the Christians, uh, Christian life has not brought this, the amount of satisfaction to us that we think it should. How many of you lived your Christian life a long time? Don't quite seem to have the satisfaction. I think I ought to be more satisfied. I think more things ought to be happening. You think, 
uh, ought to be making more progress, whatever it might be. You don't quite have that satisfaction this there. And a lot of it is because we're not walking in the love walk. Now, here's the, here's the thing that this verse tells us. God has put in your heart, He's put down the inside of you, the love of God. The love of God is already there. God put it there. If God says, I put it there, how many of you are going to call God a liar? I'm not going to call him a liar. I got that love on the inside. Now, you'll, you'll look, not no one here, I'm sure, but you'll hear in other places, you'll hear Christians pray, oh God, I need to, uh, I need, I need love to walk to, in love to that person. God, give me love that I have for that person over there. There's no reason to pray, pray for that. What do you have on the inside of you? The love of God. It says it right here. Let's read this verse, verse again. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. That's past tense, isn't it? It's already there. It has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. One of the things that the enemy likes to get you to do is to confess with your mouth something that is against what God has said. Now, we all know about it in healing. That's why, you know, we learn about the thing. Don't go around saying, well, I got this and I'm sick and I, and oh, my aching back and, and all the different things, you know, don't take ownership of all that. We, we, we've gotten those things down. But you know, we sometimes don't apply it all the way around. Oh God, I have no love for that person. What's the word of God say? It says, the love of God has been poured into your heart. It's there. It has been. It's already done. So I need to wake up in the morning and say, glory to God, I have all the love already inside of me that I need for today. I have it. All the love of God that I need, I have it now. I've got it. Start your day off like that. See, the enemy likes to start your day off like this. He's thinking about this person. You're going to encounter this person today. And you're going to have, remember that problem that was going on last week? Tomorrow's Monday. We're going to start with it all over again. How bad is it going to be? What's that person going to say? We're not thinking about the love of God. We're thinking about this other stuff. But don't walk that way. Now, I put this in your outline for you. Suppressing these other things, other things that are not in the love love walk, things like Galatians list, and we'll get into that here in just a minute, but suppressing other things is not the same thing as walking in love. How many of you have ever suppressed anger that you were facing? Put a smile on your face. That's not walking in love. How many of you suppressed thoughts and just went on another direction? That's not walking in love. That's suppressing the flesh. God doesn't want you to suppress the flesh. He wants you to walk in love. And God has poured into your heart the love of God. Just like He poured into you the calling of God and He can pull that calling out. He has poured into you the love of God and He can pull that love out. But we're letting that other things pull on us instead. Now I put this in your outline for you. The love of God is a balanced love. It's a balanced love. What are we... Uh, what I mean by that is over here in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. 
Ask him what is the greatest commandment. That's the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. These are the two greatest commandments. The first off, you love the, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Everything. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now look at that. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've talked about this a few times, but the love of God is a balanced love. It causes you to love yourself and it causes you to love others. It has a love for both. It's balanced. The enemy doesn't want you to be balanced. So all the enemy has to do is I've got to tip the scales in one direction. I've got to get you either to love yourself more or we'll put it as love others more. And we get people that are out there self-sacrificing. I'm going to give this up. I don't need anything. I'm just going to do everything for everybody else. And that's one side of the ditch. And the other side of the ditch is I don't care what they need. I need this. I want this. And we get very selfish with it. You see, there's two ditch, two sides of the ditch on here. One is focusing on others and the other one is focusing on myself. But the love of God is a balanced love. I love myself. I love others. All the enemy has to try and do is get you to be unbalanced. And he can tip you over. Now, the hardest ones to get to understand that are those who are unbalanced on the side of loving others. Because they think, I'm on the, I mean, people that just love themselves, it's easy to see they're selfish. They're selfish. They just love themselves. It's easy to see that. But I'm not loving myself. I'm out here doing everything I can for other people. I think I'll put this in your, in your outline for you. A little bit further down, we'll, we'll hit it here now. One way, one way the enemy wants to try and pull you from one side to the other, one way he'll do it is first off is self-seeking. That's the selfish way. I'm seeking after myself first. The other is self-denial. The one way he'll get you off is the self, self-seeking and the other is self-denial. Both of these things revolve around self, but the love of God revolves around God. It's centered around God. If I get into self-denial, I'm in, the, the main focus of my love is to deny myself. Well, I need to suffer more. I need to sacrifice more. I need, it's always about me. That's unbalanced. That's not what God calls you to do. What God has called you to do can be maintained. You can maintain that for as long as you need to. What the enemy wants to get you into cannot. It will cause you to crash eventually. Let's read over this part here. and I didn't put this in your outline. Your outline. You can write these reference down if you want to. But Galatians 5 and verse 13. We're going to read through 26. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the glory or all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. And he lists quite a few things over there. And you can go through the whole list there if you want. But I want you to mostly focus on 
Verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They are contrary to one another. It is easy to help, it is easier to help people that are in the flesh visibly than it is to, to help people that are in the flesh but they can't see it. When I get into that self-denial aspect of, of a, of a love walk, I can't see that I'm selfish. I can't see that I'm unbalanced. And it's really hard to, to speak to those folks. That's the ultra-religious side. The other part is completely the opposite. You get into a selfish thing, you're doing anything but being ultra-religious. Uh, you're walking away from all that. I'm just focused on me. It's really easy to get to those folks. But he gives you a list here of all these things that are in the flesh. But that's not where we're supposed to be. Verse 15 is big too. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. We can't be doing that. How many of you over at work have some people that like to talk about other people at work? You don't have to raise your hand on that, but you, know, you got people like, and they can try, they try and pull you into it. Because if they can get you into that kind of conversation, they're not trying to, they may not have this in mind, but this is what the end result is. They get you to bite and devour each other. You got people in the neighborhood. Did you hear what neighbor so-and-so did? See, we want to bite and devour each other. That's what the enemy wants to get us into. Because he's going to do one of two things. I'm going to get you into self-denial or I'm going to get you into selfishness. Either way, I got you focused on, this, on self and I don't care which way you go. Just so that he, he just wants you to get off. But God wants you to stay right there in the middle. I want you to have a love for you. I want you to have a love for others. There are some times that you need to go out there and to do some things. How many times did we read in the Word? And so it would happen probably a lot more than what we read. But he looked at his disciples and he said, you all need some rest. Let's go on out over here and let's get to a deserted spot. Sometimes that didn't work. Sometimes people found them. But you see, he was, he was looking out after them. We all need, we need to get some time. We need to pull back from this part of the ministry. And other times it doesn't say that he pulled them aside, but he just has the twelve. It's just them. No one else is around. And he has time for them to rest and relax. And doing things that you like to do is okay. But if the devil can get you into a self-denial part, then you begin to think that I can't have fun. I can't do anything that's that's enjoyable, that's good. It's uh it's always self-denial. Every moment of the day, there gotta be self-denial. Stepping out from the things that would benefit me. Making sure I'm benefiting other people. Here in Romans chapter 7 verse 14, let's read this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. We've all read this before. Some people just love this. I've, I've heard people, they talk about this. This is me. This is where I live. This is, and we're not supposed to live there. You're not supposed to live in Romans chapter 7. You're supposed to move on to chapter 8. Paul said, I was there. I was in that spot. It isn't good. Get out of that one. He got out of it. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, 
But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You see, sin is still in you even though you're a born-again sinner. So the, the enemy is trying to draw out from the sin, from the flesh. God is trying to draw out of the faith and of the love and the good things he's put on the inside of you. But the enemy wants to draw on the evil. And unfortunately, with a lot of Christians, he's successful. Let me put this in a, in a language you can, you can say. How easy is it for people to pull you into the flesh? Now think, think about it. Maybe, maybe it happened to you. You're driving down the road. You got the worship music on. You're worshiping God. Glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thinking about the Word of God that you just read that day. Oh, how good it was. How much it ministered to you. Blessed you. Just enjoying that, that Word. And then all of a sudden, somebody pulls out in front of you. Does a right hand turn on red. But he didn't even stop. Just right out. And got right in front of you so that you had a jam on your brakes. That's not the idea of turning right on, on red, is it? The idea is not to cause people to have to jam on their brakes. We all know that. But here this person did it. And you're going down the road. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And this person does that. And then what happens? <laughs> yeah, some of your, your faces are... Yeah, yeah, we know what happens. We get right out of the Spirit. We get right out of, of giving praise to God. And out of our mouth comes something different. Now, it may not be all that harsh words that come out of our mouth, but we may say something like, You idiot! We got pulled right out of the flesh. It's that easy for things to come and pull that flesh part out of us and get us to have a flesh reaction. Well, if we learn how to let God pull out the walk of love, pull that, pull that out of us. As easy as the world seems to be able to pull the flesh out of us. If we can let God, if we can develop that and let God pull that out of us, oh, how much better would that be? You see, God wants to pull things out of you like your call. We spent a couple of weeks on that. He wants to pull things out of you like the love of God. He's there. He wants to pull that out of you. Because when it comes out is when it does good. Remember the original example was the well? If you're going to pull water out of the well, you need something to draw with. You gotta let it down. You gotta let it fill up, and then you gotta pull it up. And then when you pull it up, you can enjoy the water. You can get a drink. And the well just always seems to have, have water. But as long as the water is in the well, it doesn't do anybody any good, does it? It's just there. I know it's there, but until I go down and draw that out, it's not helping me. The love of God is in you, but until you allow it to be drawn out of you, it doesn't help you. If the flesh is what gets drawn out of you, it's it's not going to be good. Where do we leave off? Verse 20. I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh... The law of sin. 
So we got to work to get this this uh, dependency on this flesh, on this sin nature. We we got to get off of it and get that dependency on the inner man, the new man, the one that's been reborn, the one that is renewed in spirit. Because this other nature is contrary to the things of God. I get amazed at how many Christians speak words out of this nature that is in them and think they're being insightful. Think they're being spiritual. No, you're not. You're just letting something stir up your flesh. But get into the love of God. Maybe when you were younger, or maybe when your children were young, if you had children, they were young. If not, think back to when you were younger. Were there times that as children that we pulled our parents into the flesh? We're frustrating them, angering them, not doing the things that we were supposed to do. I may hear a list here for you and I left it all blank. You can write in whatever you, you want to write in from this. What things work against the love of God? We got the love of God working on the inside of it, but there are things that go on that work directly against it. The more I walk in these other things, the more I don't walk in love. The more it, it keeps me out of the things of the love of God. We have to get, get those out. We have to, we have to work, work against having those things in our life. It's kind of like if you were on a diet, and there's all kinds of diets. We've talked about different diets. You can have a high-protein diet. You can have a high-carb... Um, Does anybody do high-carbohydrate diets? It's probably not a thing, is it? We probably like them. But uh, more high-protein or low-fat or, or some kind of a diet we're going to focus on. Uh, maybe more greens, maybe less greens. Maybe more meat, maybe less meat. Some kind of a diet that we're going to be working on. But whatever it is, we get the, the thing, we focus on it. And whatever diet that you're on, for whatever the purpose is, you know, lose weight, get healthier, uh, be smarter, um, whatever it might be. You've got certain foods on that list and they'll give you certain foods. These work against your goals. How many have ever been on a diet and have foods on there that work against your goals? How many like those foods? Isn't it always true that we like the foods that work against our goal? And I know that if I if I partake of this particular thing, if I go to the store and I buy the box of Twinkies, that's pretty much against every diet, isn't it? Isn't it pretty much a universal thing? Twinkies are not on any sensible diet, no matter what the goal is. Lose weight, get healthier, be smarter, whatever it is. Uh, they're, they're just not there. They work against you. And so we, I gotta take these things off. I like Twinkies. I like Oreo cookies. I like, you, you list what it is. And, um, I gotta, I gotta stay away from that. Not to, not go, go after those things. Because they're working against me. And as you stay, uh, how many can attest to this? After you stayed off of those particular foods for a little while, and then you went back and you had one of them? Could you feel the difference in your body almost immediately? Could it begin to, oh, wow, I haven't had that in a while. And, oh, that's not, I'm not feeling so good after, after having that. That doesn't, 
doesn't make me feel like I used to feel when I used to eat that. Oh, this is awful. And then be kind of reinforces our, I don't want to, I don't want to get in that. See, the more we walk in the Christian walk and we start embracing some of these things that go against the love walk, it, it hits us. Oh man, I've, I've stayed away from some of these things. Now I picked it up again. But if, as a Christian, if you do not get rid of these things out of your life, you won't be able to tell the difference between when you walk in them and when you don't. So let's go on with this, this list here. Like I said, you can write down as much of it as you want to. I put three things here in the first. They're three different things, but they all kind of fit under the same category. And these are nothing new to you. We've, we've talked about it before. One of them is complaining. Second one was bickering. Third was fault finding. Complaining, bickering, fault finding. That's all in the first one. You can fit as much of that in there as you want. You see, if the enemy pulls you into complaining, bickering, finding fault in the people that are around you and what it is that they do in the area of ministry, what it is they do at the area where you're, where you're working, whatever it might be, whenever you do that, you're working against the love of God. Now, we're not going to get into it today. Maybe we will before we finish this little section on the love of God. But it's a good idea to read on a regular basis. The, the uh, verses of Scripture on the love of God in, in Corinthians. Chapter 13. Particularly verse 4, 5, and 6. That just lists what love is. And you're going to see that love is a number of things that are not on this list. One, you cannot complain, bicker, and find fault and walk in love. You cannot do it. Now look at this. If you complain, bicker, and find fault, how many times are you doing to the person who you're finding fault with? Now, what are we doing? When we complain, who are we complaining to? People that are not involved. When we bicker, who are we bickering to? People that are not involved. When we find fault, who are we pointing out the faults to? People that are not involved. That's not according to the Word of God. You, every time that you complain, bicker, and fault find, we are going against the love of God. We're going against the very nature that God put on the inside of us, and we're going against, going and following the old nature. Now we read through the Old Testament. How many times did the children of Israel complain, bicker, we'll throw in another word, murmur, and find fault? Particularly with Moses. But they found fault with God. They found fault with Aaron. They found fault with these people. And how many times did God take it? We know very well from the Old Testament interactions with the children of Israel walking around the wilderness that God does not like, cannot stand complaining, bickering, murmuring, fault finding. And yet, what happens? We fall right into complaining, especially if we get around other people who are complaining. Uh, I don't know about you, but I got some, some folks I know. It seems like every time you see them, they complain. As soon as you see them, they start complaining. It's just like, oh, here comes so-and-so. I know they're going to be complaining about something. You almost just want to go, go away. That's what they... Well, you can see their life reflects 
all that negativity. Alright, that's the first thing. These are things that work against the love of God. You can complain, bicker, and fault find all you want, but it will go against the nature of God in you. It will prevent God from being able to pull out the love of God, and it will hinder you in your walk. But you have the freedom to do it. Here's the second area. Unforgiveness. Bitterness. Unforgiveness and bitterness. This will poison you. This will, this will get you. Worship team members, we've been reading together a book by Brother Rick Renner. You can get over it, it's called. I'd recommend it to all the rest of you too. If you'd like to pick that up, go out there and read it. It's a good book. Help you get over these kind of things. But unforgiveness and bitterness, they work against the love of God. If the devil can keep you bitter, walking in unforgiveness, thinking that I'm right in this, they are wrong. He's got you locked up. And the only, Brother Hagin would bring this out, other people I've heard bring this out, the only hindrance, at least the main hindrance, that we are given in the Word of God to our prayers being answered is unforgiveness. It's the number one reason. We should get rid of it. The devil loves it. If he can keep you in unforgiveness, he can keep you bitter. He's going to make sure that your prayers are not in a position to get answered. Then you get frustrated with God. Alright, that's the second one. Here's the third one. Dissatisfaction, discontent, lack. Dissatisfaction, discontent, or discontentment, you can even say, lack. Whatever it is, whatever I have, it's not enough. I haven't been blessed enough. God hasn't answered my prayers enough. God hasn't done this enough for me. I'm not content. I don't, I'm here, but I don't want to be here. I want to be there. I'm doing this, but I don't want to be doing this. I want to be doing that. You're not walking in the love of God. If the enemy can stir up these kind of feelings on the inside of you, he will keep you out of the love of God. He will keep you in a place where God cannot draw that love out of you. So the love that God put to give you victory in life, you aren't going to walk in. Remember, Jesus said about the commandments when they came and they said, which is the greatest commandment? And he says, well, there's two. Here's the first one. First one is love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your soul, with, all your, you know, with everything you got. Give it all to them. Love them. Second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, if you do these two things, you'll do what? Fulfill the whole law. So, if the devil is going to get you to miss God, to sin, to fall into any kind of sin, he has got to get you out of the love of God. Don't think for a moment that you can entertain anything against the love of God and not stay out of sin. You cannot do it. Because Jesus, by his own words, he said, upon these two commandments hang the whole law. The whole thing is there. So that helps the devil. Alright, all I have to do is get them to mess up on one of these commandments. Either attack their love for God and he does this by telling you God doesn't really care about you. Look at what you're going through. God doesn't really care about you. If God cared about you, you wouldn't be having this. God's not answering your prayer. You've been asking for this for how long? And it's not there. See, God doesn't really care about about you. No, don't go into that. Don't 
Don't let them do that to you, folks. Complaining, bickering, finding fault. That was the first area. Second area is unforgiveness and bitterness. Third area was dissatisfaction, discontent, and lack. Here's the fourth one. A love of other things. A love of other things. Remember in the parable that he gave? It was a love of other things that caused that there to be a problem with people? A love of other things? Because they love these other things? So the devil's going to bring in other things for you to love. And some of them are going to look spiritual. Some of them are going to look good. Don't let them do it. That's the fourth area. These things work against the love of God. The first commandment was what? Love the Lord your God. He's going to try and get a love of other things to come in. Whether it be possessions, things here on the earth, certain people, certain things for prestige, whatever it might be. He's going to get you to love other things and you're going to pursue it. Here's the next one. Served instead of serving. Constantly, Jesus was given the example, we need to serve. We need to serve. The Son of Man came into the earth to serve. So served instead of serving. Mindful of what others should do for me, basically. I'm getting mindful of what other people should be doing for me. How come they didn't do this? How come they didn't? Why aren't they? We're always looking at other people. Well, they should be. But served instead of serving. Make sure you stay with that servant mentality. Because that's part of the love of God. That's part of walking in, in love. Put the fifth one here, selfishness. Things about myself. We already kind of talked about that before. The last one here is anger. Some people are just angry all the time. They get angry really quick. They see something going on. They immediately think something negative about it and they get angry. There wasn't even anything to get angry about. But the enemy just has his way with them on, on this. They, they come on in. He says, I'll get them to see this partial truth. They'll get angry. And angry people don't walk in the love of God. Now, you can be angry and do not sin, but I'll tell you what, most Christians aren't walking that way. That's just a verse to hold out there and um, try and be excused. I saw some folks getting a little cold out there, so uh, you probably noticed me fiddling around a little bit over here. I just moved the thermostat up. Don't get distracted. If you ever see me doing something like that, I'm just moving something around to get you all comfortable. There's nobody who's getting my attention outside of here with you, except that I know that thermostat can be a problem. Glory to God. We didn't used to be able to change it from, from little contraptions right next to us. But hopefully it'll warm up there a little bit, a little bit for you. When the enemy can pull us off into these things, he keeps us from being centered in the love of God. If he can get you off into bitterness, if he can get you off into anger, if he can get you off into to the love of other things, if he can get you off into these other things, and he doesn't care which one. 
care less which one it is that you that grabs hold of you. Just so he gets one. He may even get two or three. Two or three is great. But if he can just get one, he can begin to pull you off. Pull you out from where you're supposed to be. That's what he can get done. Don't let him do it. Keep renewing yourself on the love of God. If you have to, read 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 5, and 6 every single morning. And then again at lunch. Do it. Just keep going over it. This is what I need to walk. If I can walk in this, my life will change. You ever heard that about a diet? If you can do this, your life will change. <sighs> change, huh? Hmm. Sometimes we come in a little skeptical. I've heard people make those claims about diets before. See, his goal is to pull you out of the... Uh, pull out the flesh in you. That's his goal. God wants to pull out the love and the calling that he put in you. But the enemy wants to pull out the flesh in you. Now, let's, get, let's take a look at an example of this. We're not going to read all the verses that are here. And I'm going to jump back just a little bit in Judges chapter 13, verse 24, a little bit before verse um, 1 of chapter 14. This is talking about the woman who bore... Samson. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson and the child grew and the Lord blessed him. The Lord what? The Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahanan Dan between Zorah and Eshtao. Now, those two verses, if you just had those two verses in the word of God, how many of you would think Samson was all right? That's all you got. If we cut out chapter 14... What would you think about Samson? Well, he's alright, I mean. Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. I mean, that's good, right? So the, it said that he was blessed. The child grew, and the Lord blessed him. So that's, that's some good things. Then we get to verse 1 of the very next chapter. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, in the New Testament, we all know birds are bad. In the Old Testament, we all know Philistines are bad. <laughs> Philistines are bad. Philistines are never good in, in, the, in the Old Testament. Every time a Philistine is mentioned, it is a bad thing. There may have been some good Philistines in the days when they walked the earth. There may have been some born-again ones and some ones who served God, but we are never told about them. All we are told about is the bad ones. And they were the, the ones that were bad that we saw, they were really bad. And so he goes down to the Philistines. Now, I've heard this talked about as far as uh, this, is, this is concerned. Well, let's read verse 2 before we do that. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah, the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as wife. <laughs> All right. Philistines are bad people. These are not good. These are not good folks. And um, I've heard it discussed that, you know, Philistine women, they don't dress like the Jewish women. They don't dress nicely. They don't dress conservatively. They, they dress enticingly and, and, um, 
he was out there and he saw some of this and he decided, I like her. Go ahead and get her for my wife. I want her to be my wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all of my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? So they're just reinforcing Philistines are bad. And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Hmm. Now, is this the picture of the Samson that you got in the last two verses of chapter 13? So how do we get here? Sometimes we think about Samson and we think, man, the guy was just a heathen. But God still blessed him and God still used him because he needed to or whatever it might be. But going back up to verse 24, so the woman who had bore a son and called his name Samson, the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahana Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. It sounds like when he started out, he sought after God. He took the Nazarene call that he had on his life. He took it seriously. And God saw him taking it seriously. And God saw him growing in this area. And God blessed him. And God did things with him. And God used him. Now it says in verse 25, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. What does it mean when the Spirit of the Lord moves upon a person? So, don't just read over the Scripture. If the Spirit of God moved upon Jesus, what would you expect to happen? I'll tell you what I would expect. I would expect to see people healed. I would expect to see demons cast out. And I would expect to see the the Word taught. How many would expect that? Because the Spirit, that's, that's how He moves upon, upon Him. If the Spirit of God moved upon Paul, would you not expect there to be teaching going on? Would you not expect some special miracles to have gone on? If the Spirit of God moved upon David, would you expect there to be teaching? No, David wasn't a teacher. Would you expect there to be special miracles? That That's not what happened in his life. What was David's anointing? Worship and warfare. He's anointed in worship. He's anointed in warfare. So if the Spirit of God moved upon David, generally, people died. That's generally what happened. Or people were ministered to in worship. Quite a Quite a big thing going on there. Now, he also moved in the area of prophecy and some of the songs that he would write in the area of worship. And so that could go on as well. If the Spirit of God moved upon Moses, we didn't necessarily see um, warfare. We saw spectacular miracles. We saw great signs and wonders. We saw the power of God coming out. Sometimes that resulted in armies dying and, and things, but he never picked up a sword. As far as we, we know, all the time that he was out there leading them, he didn't pick up a sword. Other people did. Didn't seem like he was the, the one doing that. You see, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, he comes upon you for your area of anointing. What's Samson's area of anointing? Strength. 
for deliverance for the people of Israel. They were oppressed from the Philistines, so his anointing was to battle the Philistines and to bring deliverance to the people of Israel. That's what his anointing was. So when he was very young, and as he's growing up, he is growing into things of God. God is blessing him. And it says the Spirit of God moved upon him, and it gave some locations where the Spirit of God began to move upon him, that things were being done, which meant that Samson was coming along and used this great strength for deliverance in these places. We just don't read about it. When we come upon him in chapter 14, we see him doing great things, but he does not start them in chapter 14. He has been doing them for a little while. And as he was moving in it, the the enemy got him sidetracked. It got him off. Because initially, he started out right. He pursued the anointing. And God blessed him. The Spirit of God was upon him. Moved upon him. And then, as he was moving on... The enemy came and got him off track. What side of the track of the love of God is this guy on? Is he on the self-denial? No, he's on the selfish part. I, w- I want her. Get her. But that's not... I, I don't care. I want her. And whatever Samson wanted, he's going to get because he's moved off in that direction. You see, his love walk got, take, got, got challenged. And he got pulled off. But he didn't start off that way. He started off right. And the anointing grew. Now it says in verse 4, But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Alright, now we read that and we're thinking, Oh, so God had a reason for him to marry a heathen, adulterous woman so that he could accomplish his purpose against the Philistines. Isn't that what you read? Is is that God? Does God do that? Does God need... Look, I need you to marry a heathen, idolatrous so that I can accomplish my purpose. And now, you see, the Spirit of God moved on him before when he was not walking in a selfish way. He was walking in the love of God. But now he's walking in a selfish way. And if God wants that anointing to be used against the Philistines, this is an opportunity he saw to do it. Because Samson's not following after the Spirit of God. And when God says, go here and do this, he's not doing it anymore. He's only going and doing that if it benefits Samson. And so God says, all right, we're going to put you in a situation that's going to benefit you to kill some Philistines and to deliver the people of Israel. And so he put them in that, in that place to be able to do it. And uh, verse 5, So Samson went down to Timnah with his father the mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. All right. Now, again, you've got to put yourself in these guys' position. You're walking along a field, minding your own business. All of a sudden, a young lion, a young, not an old, worn-out one, 
we're talking a young one full of energy and ready to kill something, a lion jumps out to take him on. By surprise. Now, have you ever seen a lion come out by surprise? They don't start charging at you 50 yards down in front of you. What do they do? They crouch down. They move up. They are as close to the the target as they can. And when they feel like they're close enough and that they can pounce on the... Because the target hasn't taken off. The target's not moving. His target's right there. He's, he's surprised. All of a sudden, a lion has pounced upon him for the purpose of killing him. He's trying to take him out. He wants dinner. And so he's he's surprised by this. If you are surprised by a lion who jumps out at you from wherever it is he's jumping out, what has a lion basically done for you? The lion has tackled you. The lion has knocked you over. Because otherwise it would say he saw a lion coming. It doesn't say he saw a lion coming. It says the lion took him by surprise. Which means I don't know the lion is there until he's on me. So now the lion has taken me down on the ground. Which means the lion's on top. That's the position of strength, right? He's in trouble. How many of you would make it out when a lion is now take, tackled you and put you down on the ground. Now understand, when a lion kills its prey, it doesn't tear it limb from limb. You ever, ever watched the geographics? You know what happens how a lion kills its prey? It's real simple. They get you down on the ground and they take that big mouth of theirs and they bite your neck. All they're trying to do is, is sever an artery and get you to bleed out. That's what they do. They get their, their prey to bleed out. So you watch. You go up in there and watch National Geographic, whatever it is. They get an antelope, a zebra, whatever it is. They, they, they know where the artery is. They cut the artery. They hold it there. They don't let the thing go anywhere until it bleeds out and then they eat it. That's what they do. That's what he's going to do here with Samson. He's ready to take the bite and Samson, the Spirit of God, comes upon him. He rises up and he takes the lion and kills it. That's quite a feat. And he just, he didn't even tell anybody about it. How many of you, you killed a lion, you're out there telling people. David, he's out there killing lions. And what's he do? I killed a lion. I got a bear. He's excited. He's telling people about it. Samson, I don't need to tell anybody about this. This is no big deal. It's just one lion. You know, if it was a bunch of them, maybe I might tell somebody. Because he's expecting this. The Spirit of God moved upon him. All right, now how many of you, if you were the Spirit of God, and Samson's been living his life this way, how many of you are moving upon him? If you're God, how many of you are putting your power upon this guy? Anybody? How many of you uh, all have rejected Samson as of now? I don't want to associate my power with you anymore. This is uh, this is ridiculous. Got here flirting with the heathen, taking a wife, these others. This is no good. We don't like this. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. I've never torn apart a young goat. I know they don't give as much of a fight 
And um, they don't have the teeth that the lion does. But uh, I've never taken apart a young goat. But he had nothing in his hand. He didn't tell his father or his mother what he had done. He went down and talked with the woman. And she pleased Simon, Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now this goes on and he sees the lion. He comes up with a riddle. He gives the riddle to the guys. He says, if you guys can solve the riddle, then um, uh, you know he makes a wager with them. Uh, he's going to get some stuff from them. If not, I'll give you some stuff. And uh, they uh, coerced his wife, threat upon uh, harm of the her family. And so she finally coerced it out of him. You know, she's over there with tears and crying. Oh, Samson, you don't love me. You don't love me. If you love me, you would tell me the secret to the rule. Everybody else doesn't know. I should know. I'm your wife. So he tells her. And then she goes and reports it. And so then uh, they win the bet. So he's mad. So he goes out and kills a bunch of people, takes their stuff and gives it to them. But he kills Philistine people. So that's how God stirred him up against the Philistines because he's getting friendly with them. Not supposed to be getting friendly with them. And if you jump on down to verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel and gave the change of clothes to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused and he went back up to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. So he had her for a wife for a little while and then they gave her to somebody else because he got mad and went away and killed people. So at the time this narrative picks up, folks, Samson's already walking in the anointing. The anointing that God put on him. I put this in your outline about this. The anointing on your life is not God's validation of your life. Please understand that. When you see a Anybody walking in the anointing that is on their life, it does not mean that God has validated everything in their life. The anointing on your life is not God's validation of your life, just the empowerment of your calling up to the point of your growth in it. Just the empowerment of your calling up to your point of growth in it. You will grow in your calling when you are walking in the love of God. When you veer off as Samson did, when you veer off as Saul did, when you veer off only for a time, but for a time as David did. And there could be other people in the Word of God we can mention as well. But when these folks veered off, they still functioned in the level of anointing that they had learned to walk in up to that point. They just didn't grow anymore in it. The anointing that comes on a person's life does not validate that everything in their life is okay. It is simply the empowerment of the calling that God has on their life. And so it's okay, it's, it's fine for God to anoint him because there's a calling on his life for a purpose that God wants to accomplish to help his people Israel. He has learned how to flow in that anointing to a point. He's not growing in that anymore. Because he stopped walking in the love of God. He's not very selfish. But they still can walk up in, the, in that, that area. I've seen people, you know, great teachers of God. And just, have, just live so much a life of flesh. Well, how can God anoint them to be a teacher when they have such a flesh thing going on? 
I mean, people that yell at folks, they go out to the restaurants and they yell at the, the wait staff and, and just treat people rudely and are harsh. How do they do that? Well, they walked in the love of God, developed up to a certain point, but then they got off into selfishness or the other direction, whatever it might be. They stopped developing, but they could still walk in what they're, what they're doing. You see, the, the enemy wants to put some anchors in your life. He wants, and the Word of God says that some, some of these sins weigh us down. That's what an anchor does. An anchor is there to weigh you down. When a, when a boat, when a ship deploys an anchor, I put this in your outline for you. An anchor doesn't sink a ship. If a boat deploys an anchor, it won't sink the ship. It holds it back. That's the purpose of the anchor. The anchor holds the, the ship from going anywhere. We gotta keep it in the harbor. We gotta keep it over wherever it is, uh, because right now we need to stay still. And so that's what an anchor does. You've made progress up to that point, but you drop that anchor, you're not making progress anymore. The enemy wants you to get that anchor down. So if you are making progress in the anointing that you have, on the call of, uh, that God has on your life, and you're making progress, He's going to keep on working on you and working on you and working on you to get you to get out of balance in your love walk, to get you on the selfish side or the self-denial side, just some way that you can be focused on self, somehow that you can be focused on that. Because that's going to drop an anchor. And if we can drop that anchor, we can do some good things. He th- the devil thinks he can do some good things. Don't let him get that anchor in your life. Don't let him do it. Keep that anchor pulled up. Stay in a centered love walk. The enemy is going to show you things to be critical about with people. He's going to show you things that you can get bitter about that people have done. He's going to show you faults in other people. He's going to get you your eyes to focus on some other loves in your life. He's going to give you reasons for why this is all right to have in your life. He's going to give you reasons to be angry and think that you're justified because you're angry for God. But it's that anchor that will hold you back. I didn't have this in your outline. I just put wrote this down in mine. I want to make sure I, I gave this to you. When an anchor is deployed on the ship, the ship is not accomplishing its purpose for which it was designed. No one builds a ship for it to be anchored. It's anchored only for a short time to accomplish a particular mission, but then the anchor is pulled up and it moves on. But you see, as long as the, the enemy can get you to be anchored by a weight of some sin, by a weight of not walking in the love walk the right way, as long as he can do that, he keeps you from developing in your calling. And he keeps you from moving in the things of God. It's up to you whether you're going to do it or not. Now I'll make the suggestion to you. You can do it as you, as you want to. But my suggestion to you is to find some way to get 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, 5, and 6 in front of you all day long. Whether you put it on your phone, on a file that you can read, 
put a bookmark on your Bible scripture. It's on your phone. Write it on a card that you put on the refrigerator. Somehow, keep that thing in front of you. And every day, read over it. Because that's the mark. And that's what the enemy is trying to get you to fall from. And if he gets you to fall from it, the development in your calling will go south. It won't be as strong. You'll flow in what you're doing right now. But it doesn't mean that God is putting his stamp of approval on what you're doing in your life. It doesn't mean he's putting his, the stamp of approval on the bitterness and the anger. He doesn't. God doesn't put a stamp of approval on that. And if you went through and read the rest of the, the Galatians scriptures that we were in, if you saw the rest of that, and go ahead and read the rest of that chapter when you get home sometime. There's your list. Those are the things of the flesh. Those are the things that the devil wants to get you to focus on because those things will pull you out of the love of God. But God wants to do some things to pull the love of God out of you. To keep you in the love of God and to be able to have that love and go out and minister to the people that are around you. That when you walk into their life, their day is better. That's what you want. You want their day to have been better. The love of God is a powerful thing. You don't have to ask God for it. He's already put it on the inside of you. It's there now. You have it. You don't have to make prayers like God. Renew that love of God. Oh, God, fill me up with your love again. No, you don't have to. He has already put it on the inside. It's already there. Well, I don't feel it. Of course not. You keep stirring up the things of the flesh. That's not going to help you. You got to get out of the flesh. Because if you if you walk in such a way that you are tied into your spirit, every time you start to veer off from that balanced love walk, as soon as you start to veer off, down on the inside he is an inkling. Down on the inside he is, don't do it, don't go that direction. Now we can ignore it, we cannot ignore it, it's up to us. But that warning is there. If you stay in the love of God, if you keep your walk in that direction, oh, I'll tell you what, your your life is made so much better. You've experienced the Christian walk with bitterness with anger, with love of other things, with all the rest that we put down on that list. Experience the love of God. Without those things, it will be much better. I equate it to a person who has decided I am no longer going to eat fast food restaurants. I'm no longer going to eat McDonald's, Burger King. I don't know what other ones are out there. And they maintain that for a week two weeks, a month, two months, six months, no fast food at all. And then get stuck in a position to go out there and to eat one. Have you ever been once under you stayed away from it for a long period of time and then went back out there and ate ate what did it do to you? How many say that it felt good? To almost every single one of us, we would say, Oh, that was awful. Oh, it's awful. But if you keep going back and you keep eating at the Burger King and the McDonald's place, pretty soon it doesn't feel so awful anymore. It feels normal. 
And that's where a lot of Christians are in their Christian walk. It's like us eating fast food all the time. I'm just used to what it does to my body. And it's no big deal. But if you pull that stuff out and step in at one time, you will find out, oh man, this is what I was walking in before. So we want to take a look in the Word of God and see what does God do to take that love that He put on the inside of us to bring it out. Because if I don't know what it is that He's doing, I may not be aware enough to let that love come out. But He's working on us because what He has put in us, He will pull back out. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for the love of God that is put into our hearts. I thank you, Father, that that love is there whether we feel it or whether we don't. The love of God is with us. The enemy wants to do things to pull up that flesh nature, that nature that is against the things of God, the nature that causes us to do the things that we don't delight in, the things that we wish we wouldn't do. But your nature doesn't take us along that way. The love of God empowers us. And as we follow after that, we develop our call. That anointing grows stronger. And we thank you for it. This week, Father, I pray that each one of us stays more aware of what the enemy is trying to do to bring us out of the love walk, to get us to the left or get us to the right, get us off-centered, leaning one side or the other, become selfish or get into self-denial, but not walking the way that God told us. Father, there's power walking in your way. And thank you that you help us to understand these things. Glory be to God. Before I read the slips that have been handed to us over the next week or two in our services, as you let the Spirit of God minister to you on these things, you're going to have some things from your flesh fall off. You're going to pursue the love of God like you hadn't pursued before because you're mindful of it. You're focused on it. And every day you're getting up and you're reading 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 5, and 6. You're reading it over. You're reading it over. You're getting it in the forefront of your mind. And some of the things that are on your life that are anchors holding you back, those things will be cut away. And you'll be able to move on in the purpose that God has. And the Spirit of God will be present to take some of those other things, some sickness and disease, aches and pains that have been going on as you release these things. Those things won't be able to have a hold. Because folks, anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, it gives the enemy a hold to put sickness and disease and some kind of pains on us. But God doesn't want that to be there. So expect that. Even next Sunday when you come. Sunday after that, these things fall off of you. You're going to be able to receive what God has for you with ease. 
This morning we have a couple of prayer reports. Read these for you. Uh, Ethel put this in during her pregnancy. Monique, that's Khalif's wife. They thought they they thought that something was wrong with the baby's heart. After they told me, I went to God to find out how to pray for the situation. The Spirit told me to pray what I knew about healing, and afterwards, after his prayer, so I did that. Before he was born, they induced her on nine seven, and his heart is fine. Praise God. Phyllis, although some North Carolina areas here uh, hit pretty hard, my family in South Carolina was spared and only experienced some rain and wind. Thanks to God for his protection. And Rashawn, this week I went to the doctor for a checkup. It was earlier than usual because my last appointment was not favorable. The appointment yielded great results with regard to my blood pressure and weight. I am reminded that we cannot allow what doctors say to to us to affect our attitude if we know that we are overcomers in every aspect of our lives. With faith, all things are possible along with doing what we are told to do. Glory to God. That's a good report there. Some uh, people needing uh, prayer. Candy, she and Bobby are not feeling well today. That's all that one says. Uh, Susan, please pray for my cousin Dustin. He has cancer, stage four, young man with wife and three children. Both are strong believers. Very good. Where are they at? What town? Florida. They're in Florida. Okay. And um, uh, Candy again. Prayer for my girlfriend Gail, who lives in um, North Carolina. She got uh, some bad flooding from the storm. So I, I was not thinking about Candy having people down there. But let's, uh, let's pray for these situations here this morning. Father, we just thank you that whatever it is that has come upon this, uh, these, these people there in North Carolina with the flooding, the enemy means it for destruction. But Father God, I thank you that you will turn this around. And those people, Father, that are relying on you, you will make a good out of this situation. We thank you for it. What the devil meant for destruction, you can turn around for good. Pray for Susan's cousin, Dustin. The cancer that they're facing, that in the name of Jesus, we agree with them that cancer has no right in that body. The work that Jesus Christ did on the cross has set us free from the work of cancer. And Father, we thank you for healing that is in that body today. I thank you for people that are along their path to minister to Dustin, build his faith up in this area. We thank you, Father, for the ministry you do with Candy and Bobby. Whatever it is that's causing them not to be feeling well, that strength comes into their body. And we thank you for it and give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before we go today...